Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. If you would, just I just want to pray and just ask God to do what He can do. And let's not worry about what Josh can do, but what, what the Lord can do as we go into His Word today. So, Father, I do come before you humbly. And I ask that your presence would be in this place, Lord. We know you're here already. We can feel you tangibly. But, Lord, would you turn up the heat? Would you give us a tangible touch of your glory today? Father, we don't take your word lightly. I don't take your word lightly. And I don't want my ideas to get in the way of your truth, Lord. I ask that you would just strip away everything that uh, is from me. And I know that you've already anointed your word. You've anointed your truth. And I pray that your truth would pierce hearts and minds, including my own today. That your truth would shine brightly in our hearts, Lord. We ask, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. We want your presence, Lord. In your holy, holy, holy name. Amen. Well, before I want to jump in, I just want to share a little bit about how we got reconnected here. Uh, we, this is our family from back in the Bethel days, and uh, we just love you all so much. And uh, Lauren and I, we went to school together uh, years ago, and then, of course, she moved here and then moved again, and then I didn't even know when she had moved back, and uh, we actually met at the Holy Spirit class. We kind of re, re were like, oh my gosh, and my wife and I knew her from way back, and, and then... Uh, we met Miguel and got to know them, and so that Holy Spirit class is something very special. If I could just g give a second announcement, a second plug for that, go to that. Uh, uh, Julie and Sterling Sawyer have a gift to really help people uh, connect with the Spirit of God and walk in His Spirit, and, and they just have a prophetic anointing and gifting, and so if you have not been to that, go to it. It was so, so powerful for us, and we go as often as we can to be under their ministry um, but that's where we reconnected, and we've just had so many cool experiences just in the last few months, uh, even over here, uh, the Palafoxes, who Melissa was here leading us in, in worship. Uh, we all went to a movie together. It was called Come Out in Jesus' Name. I don't know if you heard of it, but uh, it's about deliverance and, and, and how that's happening today, and it was wild. God did some crazy things. Like We, we had this opportunity at the very end of the movie to go, fr go up front and invite people down for prayer. And we had, I mean, Miguel and Lauren were like over here and, and uh, Daryl and Melissa over here. And we're all like up front and people are coming and asking for prayer to get delivered from addiction, to get delivered from strongholds in their lives, even to, to like have like demonic deliverance out of their hearts and minds. It was, it was, and so I just want to say like God has brought us back together just to be able to even minister in the craziest places. We had like a little mini revival happening at this theater in Manteca. We were in Manteca. I never know where I'm at. It was awesome. People were like, like getting set free. Like you could visibly see like there was all this frustration on their face and we're praying. And then there's kind of like some sort of you know, vocal, emotional thing happening. And then all of a sudden they're just like beaming, smiling. And you could see like the Lord has like, I'm like, we're living in like, it felt like the book of Acts just kind of like came down. So, so just know Lauren and Miguel are like awesome. We, I love the people we hang out with, we roll with, and we also hang out and do game nights together. And so, so we love, uh, we love you guys. We love everyone here. We're just blessed to be here. I'm going to speak on the family of truth. This is a message the Lord has given me to speak uh, throughout my life, and uh, I want to share it with you. I've, I've, I've had a profound change in my walk with the Lord over the last year or so. Uh, it's probably been two or three years, and, and one of the kind of best ways to summarize that change is that um, he's given me a a clear picture of the reality of oneness with him, that we are united with him. And he gave me that picture out of uh, five chapters in the Bible that have become so precious to me. 
The whole word of God is so precious, but these five chapters are are John chapters 13 through 17. And so I want to share just a kind of a fragment of what the Lord's been really doing in my heart and mind and just in my spirit over the last few years, especially the last year. And it's just a fragment of what he's really been teaching me on, but it's so precious. And so we're going to be in the book of John. We're going to be hopping around all just John. There's like a Romans road. This is like the John road, okay? So if you are new to church, maybe this is the first time you've walked into a church, I just want to let you know, you got to hang on tight because you came to a church service where God has asked me to preach to those who already walk with him and know him. So if you're like just exploring Christianity, I'm probably going to say some things that you're like, what does that mean? So whoever drug you here, however you got here, talk to them after and be like, I didn't understand this, 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 or this. And they'll be able to break it down to you. They'll be able to help you out. But this is not necessarily a message for those who are looking to be saved. I I felt the Lord call me to speak to a group of people who are already saved. So it's not a salvation message. It's what the Bible would call a sanctification message. Okay, and so we all have the opportunity to look more and more like Jesus. And that's what sanctification is. It's the process of becoming who he called us and created us to be. And that standard is Jesus. He created us to walk just as Jesus walked here on the earth, which is wild. It's wild, wild, wild. I want to start in John chapter 18, verse 11. I I know they're going to be up on the the screen, but if you want to hop through your scripture, you can as well. This is so profound. John chapter 18, uh, what happens is uh, just a little bit of context. Jesus has just been betrayed by Judas, and he, he is heading into the garden, and he gets to the garden, and they begin to pray, and Judas comes with this platoon of soldiers on behalf of the priests and on behalf of uh, the people of those days who were trying to crucify Jesus. And something so profound happens, and it, it just blows my mind that the crucifixion did not stop in this one moment. And, and what happens is they're approaching him, and they say, we're looking for Jesus as Nazareth. And Jesus does like a semi-quote of the Old Testament when Moses was standing before the burning bush, and Moses said, to God before the burning bush, he said, who do I tell these people that you are, God? Like, what's the name I should give them? And God says, I am who I am. And it's so profound because God's basically saying, I exist. I exist. And he exists in a quite undefinable way, doesn't he? He's just not really definable. And I just want to know what it would be like to be one of the the people watching this happened. Like maybe you're, you're like, you know, Philip or, or James the Less or someone and you're watching, uh, or, or John, and you're watching these guards approach Jesus. And he says, they say, we're looking for Jesus in Nazareth. He says, I am he. And as soon as he says that, and I missed this after reading it a few times, but if you see what it says in the scriptures, it says they drew back and fell to the ground. And I, I don't think it looked like this. He says, I am he. I don't think it looked like like they drew to the ground. I think they flew back and fell on the ground. Like we're talking like movie style, like this power comes out of the statement of the truth of who he is. I am he. And everybody knows that the I am he he's referencing in the Old Testament has not only truth to it, but this power that is a proclamation and evidence right there. It should have been done. Like if you're one of the guards you're like, uh, maybe, can we maybe go back to Caesar? Because he's probably, I know he'll probably kill us, but this is like, this is wild. This is crazy. Like, this person's probably actually God. I'm just surprised they kept going with it. But, but you know what? They did. And it was in the Lord's plan. And Peter does exactly what I would do. Exactly what I would do. I would be like, how dare you try to arrest my Savior? And he picks up a a sword or he has a sword or a dagger, something like that. And he goes and he tries, I believe he tried to actually kill a man named Malchus, which side note, Malchus is a servant, right? He's a servant of the high priest. His name means king. And I think it's really just interesting that his name means king. Here's this servant. But anyway, he cuts off Malchus's ear. If you're trying to cut off someone's, if you're trying to kill someone, you're aiming for their head. And if you're a bad shot, you cut off their ear. Peter was trying to kill this man. And interestingly, John doesn't give us the detail that another gospel gives us where Jesus takes the ear and actually heals the man and puts it back on, I believe, because John wanted to focus on seven specific miracles throughout 
his writing of the Gospel of John, but that's another sermon. But he does give us this detail. He says, so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? He's like, Peter, we're doing something different. And it makes sense to me that Peter did what he did. He was like, I want to defend Jesus. This is my God. This is my Savior. This is the Messiah. He's to be enthroned. He's not to be crucified. He's not to be arrested or spat upon. And so Peter goes and attacks, and yet Jesus says, hey, there's another plan. There's something else that the Father has prepared for me. And I got to tell you, that is the position that we're called to live life from. That we would just say, whatever the Father has for me, whatever cup he has, I want a drink of that cup. A good father, and I asked my kids this the other day. I asked him, I said, what if I, I gave you a cup of something? You didn't know what it was. Would you drink from it? All my kids go, yeah, absolutely. I, being not a good father in the way that God is a good father. In fact, in comparison, I'm evil, right? I wouldn't give my children something good to drink, and they know it, and they trust it. They had no doubt in their minds. And then I pushed it a little further. I said, what if it smelled really bad? Like, what if I gave you this cup and it smelled, like, horrible? Would you still drink of it? And they were like, I have four kids. Two of them were kind of like, yeah, yeah, I would. And the other two were like, eh, I don't know, Dad. I don't know. And then, and then my, uh, my third born, who's kind of a little firecracker, she was like, no, no, no. I'm like, okay. What if it looked bad, smelled bad? And so the kids are getting less and less confidence in their earthly father, and they call me their earthly father, by the way. They always, I, they always say that my, my wife, Austin, they're always like, you're our favorite mom. I'm like, well, that's good. You have one mom. But then they always tell me, you're our second favorite dad. So, <laughs> hey, it's good. I'm number two, and I should be. But they see God as their, their true father, their heavenly father, and they call me their earthly dad. I said, what if God showed up in the room, and he gave you a cup, and it smelled bad, and it looked bad? Would you drink from it? And they said, oh, yes. Yes, we would. And I just, I thought to myself, you know, my wife's an amazing mom, and I gave myself a pat on the back, and I said, we're good parents. That's the right answer, you guys. Are you willing to drink from whatever it is that God has for you? So they take Jesus from there to Ananias and Caiaphas and Herod, and then they finally, they go through all these different things. You guys know the story. They finally get to a man named Pontius Pilate. And it's Pilate who has to decide whether he's going to be crucified, whether he's going to be punished for no sin that he committed. He was sinless. He didn't commit any crimes. We know this. Or they have to decide what he has to decide whether he's going to let him free. And ultimately, what Pilate and even what the guards like Malchus and all those those guards, what they're really wrestling with through this whole time of this, this how does Jesus get arrested and crucified, they're wrestling with the fact that they are caught between two kingdoms. There really is only two kingdoms. And for a long time in my upbringing, I thought that the kingdoms of this world kind of were okay with God's kingdom, and I, I saw political things. I was very young, and I thought, oh, yeah, you know, the government is you know, they're pretty supportive of Christianity. And I'm not saying no government ever has, has not been supportive of Christianity. But what I am saying is that if someone's not proclaiming Christ, they're in the wrong kingdom. Right? It's that simple. There's the kingdom of Christ, there's the kingdom of light, and then there's the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan. It's that clear. It's that simple. Two kingdoms. But really, these two kingdoms, more than being kingdoms, they're two families. They really are two families. God wants servants who obey him. But even more so, he wants children who love him. If you think about the way that we came into this planet, you go back to the book of Genesis, it's like, what was the point? Why did he bring man into this world? You have to come to the conclusion that God is so glorious that if he's going to make someone in his image, 
that the person made in his image is also glorious. You might say, but Josh, like, you know, we have this sin nature. And I would say, yes, we do. We have a sin nature. But that sin nature is the plan of the enemy to make us separated from God. It's, the, it's a fallen nature. It's not the original intent of God. The original intent of God is that we would be like him. Just like how my children look a little bit like my wife and they look a little bit like me. They're, they're like me. They reflect me. God, God kind of, he did this thing in, in all of humanity, whether it's parenting or marriage or, or just all of life, he put little whispers of truth. And he did that in marriage. He did that in parenting. And he said, the way that your kids emulate and do things that you do is the way I want you to follow me, right? He wants us to be like him because that's what we were designed to be. We are of the family of God. The, uh, the ancient family structures were very different. The Hebrews had, uh, you, as you know, the Hebrew people had a lot of honor for uh, their mother and father. They had a lot of honor for the sort of the patriarchs of the family, the leaders of the family. And there was a very sound structure of like what, what dad says, what mom says we're going to do, we're going to follow. The Romans, it was a little bit different. Uh, the Romans, they, they had a structure where if you were a blood-born child or if you were in the house, uh, what was called the patron father, then the patron father would be the one over the household, maybe over some servants, those types of things. This would be a Roman man. If you were in his household, you were not considered a child of that Roman father, of the patron father, until they decided to adopt you. Even if you were blood-born, born into the family, they could do whatever they want. They had so many crazy like legal rights. They could do whatever they want. They could, they could discard that child. They could uh, sacrifice them if they wanted to. They could, and there would be no, no issue in their law. The patron father had so much power. And so you had to give them the right to become your child. If you look at John, uh, can we go to John uh, 1, 11 through 13? John is speaking this language, right? He's talking about Jesus. He said, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. So he came to the Hebrew people and they did not receive him. Some of them did, but many did not, right? Verse 12 but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. He's, point, he, he's pointing to their culture. He's saying, hey, just like the patron father has the right to say, you get to be a child of mine, this is the work that Jesus did. He gave us the right to enter into the family of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we're not born of blood into the family of God. We are born of the Spirit. Let's look again at John 18, 33 through 38. It says, Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. It was the responsibility of the Hebrew fathers to be a teacher of their family. You remember when Jesus, Jesus says something that seems contradictory in English. He said, do not call any man teacher because you need not that anyone should teach you. But you have one teacher, your Father in heaven. 
Okay, that word teacher is actually not translated the same as it is in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is explaining that there's different uh, offices, different giftings to those offices. He says he called some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers. So if you read it in English, you go, Paul, you're contradicting Jesus. We're not supposed to have teachers, but if you read it in the original language, you find out that what Jesus was actually saying was the word master. And that master, that was the role in the families of those days, was to sit down with your children and say, listen to everything I have to say, not just as a teacher like we think of at school, but as someone you actually follow, as a true disciple. Yes, dad, yes, master, I am going to do what you called me to do. I'm going to live by this code of values that you've given me. And what Jesus is saying, could you put that last verse up, verse 38? Sorry, 37. You say rightly I'm a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I've come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Here's the key. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. This is not the first time Jesus has said something like this. Everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. There's another time in scripture where he says, my sheep know me and they hear my voice. So we've been given the right to become children of God. Because we've been given that right, we now get to step into a new reality where, as him as the father of all truth, we get to hear his voice. He gave us a right to communicate with him. This is the work of Christ. What burdens my heart, maybe, maybe more than almost anything else, in, in the world that I see today. It just burdens my heart, really brings a lot of pain, is I see so many Christians that don't know that they have the right to speak to their father, to really talk to him and to hear his voice. We are called to have a relationship with him. In fact, it's what we preach all the time. When we preach salvation to people, we tell them, you need to have a relationship with God. But then I hear those same Christians saying things like, well, you can't speak to God today. You can't hear his voice. There's, that doesn't really happen anymore. And I don't know how the devil slipped that into our doctrine, how the devil slipped that into the, the American Christianity that I've seen over the years. But I'm here to tell you God speaks. He speaks plainly and clearly. He can speak to you. If you have never heard the voice of God, you've never felt led by his spirit, I want you to know Jesus speaks to you. He gave you the right to be a son or a daughter, and a good father talks to his children. You are called to have daily conversation with God. Daily conversation. Paul says to pray without ceasing. How do you do that? You can't do that by just raffling off a bunch of prayer requests to the Lord. That's not the Christianity that we are called to live. And I want you to know, if that's your, your current circumstance, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying there's more for you. There's a deeper connection with the Lord. And if you would just know that he wants to speak with you and open up your heart and just say, Jesus, what do you want to say? He will take you on wild adventures. I have had the craziest experiences I mean, crazy experiences just because I've said to the Lord, would you speak to me? Would you talk to me? I mean, I could go into some testimonies. Maybe I will at some point here. I want to go to John chapter 8. We're going to take a minute in there. Because I want to connect all these dots for you. I want you to see how real it is that he is the Father who speaks to us. Jesus always in the scriptures, and, and today, always does the unexpected. I mean, I never see things coming. He always does things, and I'm like, why would you do that? And then moments later, I'm like, it all makes sense. And I think he does that to just time and time again reassure me and all of us that he is God, that he's in control that he's got it figured out, and that if we will just trust him, if we will just take steps of faith, we will see how good he is to us despite our 
inability to see down the road of where he's taking us. And this is one of those moments. In John chapter 8, the adulterous woman is caught. She's caught in the act of adultery, and she's taken uh, into the city, and she's to be stoned to death. They're going to take rocks and, and cast stones at her. And we all know the story. Jesus gets down into the, the dirt, and he writes or draws or does something in the sand. Nobody really knows. We don't know what he did, but it was effective. Whatever it was, they saw what was here in the dirt, and they began to, it says, from the oldest to the youngest, they began to drop their stones and walk away and leave her without any accusers. And Jesus says to her, I, d- I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. Which, as a side note, if she was unable at that point to sin no more, then Jesus would be doing something manipulative or wrong. He would be calling her to something that's not possible. But he said, go and sin no more. That's in the Old Testament. How much more are we able to actually have mastery against sin, be able to overcome temptation and not sin, now that we are in this side of the New Testament and we have the empowering work of the spirit in our lives so don't believe the lie of the devil that you cannot get out of addiction or sin if you're dealing with some sort of hidden sin you can get out of it just just come into the light it's very easy the the trick that the devil has is to 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 try and get us to think that it's very hard to get free from sin uh john says in first john to uh walk in the light as he is in the light that's how you get free from sin confess to one another I don't know why I'm talking about this. It has nothing to do with my message. Or maybe it has everything to do with it. Because he wants us to be free. And I, I do think the Lord's really communicating with me right now. I do think that it's very hard to hear your, the voice of your father if you, you don't have a free heart. If you're not free, if you are in bondage to sin, it's not just about you. When you're in bondage to sin, you can't be fruitful. Jesus taught the parable on the the four different types of seed or the four different soils. And the third type was the weeds were growing up around what was being grown. The cares of this world, those sins that so easily entangle. But the fourth type was fruitful. Do you want to be entangled and go to heaven or do you want to go to heaven fruitful? If you are dealing with sin, confess it to one another. We cannot afford to have these wicked hearts and to reach people on this planet. The people that God loves need us to be free. And that that statement, I know it's true, but it messes with my theology because so long I I say God doesn't need us, but he does want to use us. Please hear my heart on this. If you are free, you are more effective. If you repent of your sins, you are more effective for the kingdom. And I have repented of sin. I've walked away from hidden sin. There was years where I was in pornography. I came out of that. Years where I was in uh, just just horrible things. Like, I mean, I've done, I've, I've been drunk. I had drunkenness as a sin getting high, all of these things. I mean, there are, there are evil things that we've all done, but get free from sin. Okay, Holy Spirit's getting me back on track. He has one of these moments where he sets this, this person free, this adulterous woman, tells her, go and sin no more. And then he begins to, to talk about himself, his kingdom, his departure. And it says in, in verse 30 of chapter 8, it says, as he spoke these words, many believed him. So he gains all this favor. He gets all this favor with these people. And he does the weirdest thing to me. He starts to just say things to them that they don't want to hear that are going to lose favor. He's going to lose their favor. They're all, hey, we believe in you, Jesus. This is amazing. And then he, he he pushes the boundary further. And it never made sense to me until I understood that God doesn't want us to just like him. He wants a full commitment to him. He wants us to be sold out for him. He doesn't want Christians who are just like, you make me feel good. He wants sons and daughters who will stand up for him and be truthful to those around him who need the light of Jesus. They need freedom in a broken world. He does not need 
weak Christians who are going to just be in this casual state of Christianity. He needs sons and daughters, warriors for his kingdom. And so what he did is he said, okay, it's great that you like me. Now let's Let's move past liking me into commitment, true commitment. And that, that's, that's what's happening here in the scriptures. They believe in him, and then he starts to, to talk about the father of lies. I'm going to read from verse 31. It says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Again, he's connecting following him to truth. This is who he is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So as followers of him, we have to abide in truth. He says, abide in my word. I'm not going to go super in-depth in this, but I want you to know there's a difference between, when you see the word word in Scripture, the word word in Scripture, there's a difference between, uh, the, the English translation is always word. There's a difference here. It's the word logos in the Greek. Okay, there's a difference between logos and, and later in the story we'll see rhema. We need both logos and rhema. What is logos? Logos, for lack of a, a, a deeper explanation, because I, I don't want to take a long rabbit trail down this, but logos in Greek thought in those days, uh, and, and John is masterful at the way he, he weaves the word logos into the scriptures. If you look at John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, was the logos. And the logos was with God. And the logos was God. Why is he saying that? In Greek thought, the word logos, it's this idea that was developed by uh, a Greek philosopher named Heraclitus. And it's this idea that there's something beyond the the Zeus and Athena and the, the Ares, all these false Greek gods. This, this Greek philosopher said, there's something out there that is this uncaused truth that's this truth of all truth this revealed truth of what is true that we can't quite grasp and i don't know what it is that's what heraclitus developed he used the word logos and so that's what logos meant to the greek people this was hundreds of years before jesus came on the scene so it's a very developed thought and so what jesus is saying here is he's saying if you abide in my truth this truth that is so beyond our world then you're my disciples indeed. You have to stick with the truth that Jesus is God. Ultimately, that's what we're supposed to abide in, that Jesus is truly the Son of God and he himself is God, that he was there from the beginning, he'll be there at the end, that he is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the giver of life, the Savior. He is God. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And he says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you give yourself to a commitment... The biblical word is covenant, but if you give yourself to a commitment to God, to to Jesus, to just saying that he is the true way, I'm 100% convinced that he will take you on a journey of continued sanctification and growth in him. He will take you on this journey to become more and more like him throughout your life. This is what he's saying. You're going to get more and more free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, And you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father... You would love me, for I proceeded from and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and here's the key, 
and he does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. These are the distinctions between the family of God and the family of Satan. Those who lie and manipulate are operating under the, the governance of Satan. I don't care how Christian you are, the moment you manipulate, the moment you lie, the moment you do something untruthful, you have now stepped, you've not left allegiance with Christ, but you've now shot an arrow from the enemy's side. How many would do that in a war? Would you go, would would you, as a soldier, like in, in a war, would you go to the other side and begin to shoot the other, shoot your very family on the, no, we would never do that, but that's what happens. And, and I, 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 I believe that God is releasing a revival on this planet that is going to require, I, I, and I do mean the planet, but I also think here in this region, here in Woodbridge and Lodi, God is releasing a revival that's going to require his people to walk in humility, and it's going to require his people to stand in truth in, a, in such a In such a solid way, we have to be so solid in the fact that we are not going to lie or manipulate or gossip or do anything that is of the kingdom of the devil. We have to stand in truth. He goes on to say, when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is the liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Verse 47, he who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Those who are of the family of God hear his words. That word words is not the word logos. It's the word rhema. What's the difference between logos and rhema? Logos is the revealed truth of who God is. Ultimately, it's Christ. Christ, if you want to know who God is, Look at the life of Christ, because Christ is God. It's, he's the perfect representation of who God is. He is the Logos. This scripture is the Logos because it is the exact thing that ev- is available to every human being. It's truth that's available to anyone. But Rama is personal words from God. When you're reading scripture and a scripture, have you had a scripture pop out to you and you go, you go, wow, this, this feels more profound than the last time I read it. That's the whispering rhema of God. Or if you've been praying and you see or hear a picture of something that you know is not of yourself and you believe that it is good and it's from God and it aligns with the logos, that's the rhema. It's the still small voice of God. It's the truth of God as he whispers it to you personally because he is a good father, a good teacher. A good teacher doesn't just go into a classroom and say, here's the textbook, here's the textbook, learn it, peace. That's a, that's a bit horrible teacher. A good teacher says, hey, I want you to read this chapter, and then they come over and they get real close and they go, okay, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, you're reading? Okay, let me, let me pause for a second. Let me explain this to you. This is my love, right? You know, that's what a good, a good teacher is hands-on. What did, what did Jesus teach about how he was going to speak to us? John 15, 26 says, When the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit is the one who's supposed to testify of Jesus. He's the one who will guide you. John 6, 16, 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, there it is again. Do you see how family and father is connected to truth so often? The spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you all things that the father has are mine therefore i said to you he'll take of what is mine and declare it to you the holy spirit's job in your life is to connect you to jesus and jesus has been given all authority of the father you are connected and if you will submit yourself to the spirit of god and ask him to speak to you you are connected uh, under submission you are connected to the authority of christ 
who has been given all authority from the Father. Let's look at a few more. We're going to go to John 17, 17. Jesus is praying to God the Father. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. John 20, verse 11. Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and she wept. She stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposing to him to be the gardener. Do we have? Said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned to him and said, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. He is the teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. This is the first message that Jesus gives after the resurrection. Tell everyone that I'm going to the father. And not only is he my father, he's your father. This is at the heart of the gospel message. We, we cannot disassociate the fact that we are children of God from the gospel message, from the truth that we have been saved. What have we been saved to? We've been saved to the family of truth. We've been saved to being uh, given the right, the privilege, the honor to be in presence with the Father, to be called his children. John 20, verses 19 through 23, and then, and then I have one more, and then, and then we'll be done. Then the same day at evening, beginning in the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, when the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them, and he said to, said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Okay, that's not a verse to be glossed over. Think about what that means. As the Father has sent Jesus, he has sent us. I'm telling you, we need a Christianity where we become the true hands and feet of Jesus, and that requires, undoubtedly requires, that we listen to his voice that we speak to him. And I don't have a lot of time to go into the how of that. How do you hear his voice? But I want to tell you, it starts with the logos. It starts with reading your word habitually, routinely, getting into God's word. And it starts with waiting in prayer, lingering in prayer, And when you feel that he's led you to do something, even if you're not 100% sure, when you feel he's led you to do something, step out in faith and do it. He honors your obedience. And as, as you obey him, he will give you more to steward and more to do. So Jesus said that to them again, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit's job to speak to us on behalf of Jesus, on behalf of the Father, to talk to us, to guide us, and to make us fruitful. How many of you want to be fruitful? Yeah, we all want to be fruitful. What prevents fruit is that hard soil that can't receive what God is saying to it, right? What God is speaking to us. 
And really, the only thing that can get us into that place where we can be receptive to God is to decide that we're going to take time to be receptive to God. If your theology, if your doctrine says God doesn't speak today, then you're not going to be listening. You're not positioning. The soil of your heart's not ready for him. And we need to repent. We need to repent of our sin, get free, confess to somebody so that the soil of your heart is ready to receive and to hear and to know. And then suddenly you're obeying the Lord and you're in a theater with some people who are coming down to, like, get deliverance from demons. Like, many revival is happening in a theater. Why, why would that have happened? It happened because people were willing to say yes to God and listen to his voice and say, I'm going to go down and I'm going to pray for people who need prayer in this very public space. And I am telling you, I'm 100% convinced, 100% convinced that God is releasing his glory on the earth that will be like the revivals that we've seen in the past. Some of you have been here and experienced those revivals. And I believe it will be even greater. But he needs his children to steward a relationship with him and to hear his voice. So the response that I'm asking of each of you today, as a guest speaker, I'm asking on behalf of the Lord a response that you would each take time today and you would ask the Lord to grow your ability to hear his voice and you would submit yourself to him for a length of time today that you would wait on him and just say, Lord, show me how to hear your voice. Some of you, it will be for the first time that you've done this. Some of you have done this so often. And wherever you're at, it it really doesn't matter. What matters is that we pursue him, we increase in our pursuit of him, our, our passion, our zeal for him, and increase in our ability to receive whatever he has for us. And what we started with this story of Malchus getting his ear cut off and Peter being told by Jesus, put that sword away. That is the position to hear God from. The position that Jesus declares is, should I not take partake of this cup that the Father has given me? Whatever the Father has given you, and it may be crazy. I mean, last night I was, I was speaking to a man about, I was evangelizing, speaking to a man, and I thought I was supposed to tell him, I, I, I asked him, because the Lord showed me a picture of a badger, and I said, I said to this man, does the animal of a badger mean anything to you? And that's a hard cup to drink from. What a weird thing to say to somebody. Isn't that weird? That's weird, right? That's like bizarre. And I do stuff like this all the time. God makes me do weird things all the time. But I do it because I don't care what that man's response is. I don't care if, he, if a badger is significant to him or not. I care that God has asked me to do something, and whatever he's asked me to do, I'm going to drink of it. And I don't care if I look stupid I don't care if I look weird. I don't care what anyone says about me. I want to do what pleases the Father. That man had seen at a farmer's market earlier that day a badger. He'd seen like, I don't, I think it was a stuffed badger. And he's, he, he said to me, he goes, man, that is so weird that you would say that. And I said, I think it's weird too. <laughs> and, and I tell you what, his heart lit up in a way like, how did you know? And he goes, how did you know? And I just told him, God knows every single thing that you do. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. You can speak to him. Let me tell you this. If I can speak to God, if I can hear his voice, anyone can. I, have, I, I told you, part of my testimony, I have had the worst sins. I have been so distant from God, so tangled in sin. And he set me free. And he's given me a relationship with him, and it's not just for me. I mean, he, he, he delights in each of us. He wants that relationship, that depth with each of us, and that is wonderful. That is primarily what we're for, here for, right? 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. But the second is like it, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. Either one of those can't be done if you don't understand that a good father speaks to you. We thank you, Father, for speaking to us, for wanting relationship with us. You're so good. You're so good to us, Lord. I pray that if there's any doubt in this room that that you speak to your children, Lord, I pray that you would erase it, that you would give your people a supernatural faith to hear your voice, to know your voice. God, we thank you for the truth that you've given us in the scripture, for the Logos truth, that we can abide in your truth, and that in abiding in you, we, we are of the family of faith, that we are set free because of your truth. I pray for anyone in bondage in the room, Lord, and any kind of demonic oppression, any demonization, anything like that, Lord, any addiction or anxiety, I pray that it would be cast out right now in Jesus' name. Jesus, anyone who needs a baptizing touch from your spirit, I pray that they would receive it today, Lord, that we would be free as sons and daughters of the living God, Thank you that you are the father of lights in whom there is no shadow. That we are your lights, Lord. We are your bearers of truth. God, I pray that you would speak your words, your rhema, your conversation with each of us, Lord. That daily we could walk, that we could pray without ceasing, walk in your word. We love you, Lord. You're good. You're good. We praise you. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for meeting with us today. I pray that your presence would be tangible throughout our day. And all the more as we see you moving on the earth, we trust and believe you're bringing a wave of your glory and your presence. So many will be harvested into your kingdom. And so many will know that they are sons and daughters. Thank you for giving us the right to become your children, Lord. Your holy, holy, holy name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.